0: Amen. Thank you for that song. If you turn your Bibles uh, to Matthew chapter 26 with me this morning, we're going to have a look at something here. Um, Thank you for everyone that is here today. And if you're our guest today, welcome to Good Shepherd Baptist Church. We're glad to have you here. Uh, You may have noticed a lack of microphones up here this morning because our mixing desk decided to die. And... um, the other thing is my wife, don't look at her and think she's not spiritual because she doesn't have a Bible. It's because the preacher didn't bring his Bible to church this morning, so I've stolen it off her. Um, but it's all good. We're going we're to have a look here in the Word of God this morning and we're going to hopefully be helped. My desire is that we would be helped this morning by the Lord and His Word. Um, continue to pray for Pastor and his family. I spoke with them uh, briefly yesterday yesterday. Uh, They are enjoying their break, so that video you saw is true. They are enjoying their their time together. Um, And they do miss us. They miss us intently. Why is everyone pointing at my head? (laughs) So we have a mixing desk that's not working. I didn't bring my Bible, and i got fluff all over my hair. It's all good. We can push through. As I was saying... um, Pray for Pastor. yes, they do, they do miss us greatly and are desiring to, to be back with us. I'm still thinking about the fluff in my hair. <laughs> All right, Matthew 26, uh, we'll pray and then we'll have a look here and um, hopefully get something out of this passage here this morning. So let's pray. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for your goodness to us. We thank you, Lord, for bringing each of us here today. Uh, we thank you, Father, for your love as we have sung about this morning. Uh, that it has reached down to us, Lord God. You have shown us through your word and, Lord, through your spirit. And uh, we appreciate that, Father, and, and we thank you for it. Lord, my desire this morning is that uh, you would help me uh, to, to expound your word, Lord God, that your Holy Spirit would use me this morning uh, as a vessel for your glory. I pray, Father, that as we look into your word today, that uh, those who are here would be helped as well. I pray that you would meet the need of everyone that is here and present this morning, Lord God. Uh, Father, we thank you for your truths. Thank you that they can be trusted, that we can trust in you, Lord God. And uh, we're going to commit ourselves to you today. And uh, we continue to commit our pastor and his family to you as well. Pray that you would refresh them, revive them, Lord God, and use them as you see fit, Father God. So, Father, we commit ourselves to you and thank you for this time together. And we pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to ask you a question this morning, which I'm sure the answer is going to be yes, but I'm going to ask it anyway. I wonder, has anyone ever made an accusation against or called into question your character? Has anyone ever done that to you? And probably the answer is yes, multiple times. Has anyone ever spoken about you in untruthful terms? Perhaps you've had an argument or a disagreement, a conversation with someone, whether in the workplace or a family member, a friend, Um, you've been having a discussion with them and they've accused you of things that you haven't done. They've brought out some things that are just downright untruthful and undeserved. Has that ever happened to you? I know it's happened to me many times. Maybe you've uh, overheard some people talking and they're talking about you and talking about your character and... And mentioning some things that, that just aren't so. I wonder if that's ever happened to you. And, and, and more than just them talking about it, they're actually believing those things. Or maybe it's gone one step further and you've seen that something to do with your character that is untruthful has been put out there for everyone to see. Perhaps an email that has been sent around or perhaps a, a comment or a post online somehow which really the audience is, can, can continue to grow with something like that. I wonder if your character has ever been brought into question in any of those different ways, if that's happened to you, if you've come across that at all. Well, obviously nobody likes it when this happens. I don't, I don't like it when it happens. But for a lot of people, I think something like this is, is really their worst nightmare. That my character, who I, I pride myself on being, and, and whether you're a Christian or not, that that's been brought into question and these false things are being said about me, That I don't like that. And it's, it's unnecessary, it's not nice. And it's bad, not just because it's our own character, but because those kind of things can, can spread and they can spread quickly, and they do. Whether you hear it or whether you don't, those kind of things spread. That's what gossip is all about. And it's not good. I'll put to you today that there's more opinions and judgments made in our day about other people than perhaps any other day on earth. Everyone today wants to have their opinion put out there for everyone else to see. Everyone wants to, to say, hey, I've got something to say about that. And when it turns to people, it can get nasty very quick. And everyone has their their thing that they want to say about that person. And uh, that is just a downward spiral. It's It's not a good thing. So what can happen is that you and I can equate our self-worth by the opinions of other people. So in light of these things going around, we can go, I value the opinions of everyone that's, that's saying all these things because our day is so full of opinions, so I want the opinion of me to be a good opinion. And therefore, you can, you can equate your self-worth to the value that people are putting on you based on their opinions, which could not be based on fact, which could be false. But I just want to say this this morning, and I'm saying it to myself as well, that you are who you are despite what people say about you. And I say particularly to the younger generation, you are who you are despite what people say about you, because it's, it's a trap we all fall into, that they're saying this about me, therefore I start eventually thinking that that is true. But it's not. You are who you are. Now, hopefully, who you are is a good thing. Hopefully, your character is a good thing. And if you're a Christian, I hope your character is like the character of Christ. But don't let someone else's criticism of you think that it's changing who you actually are. Because you are who you are. And that might sound very simple, but I think it just needs to be said in this day and age as well. So here are some things that you might be accused of being. I'll just put these out here, okay? Someone someone might call you these things. Prejudiced, insensitive, bossy, foul-mouthed, picky, selfish, judgmental, careless, disrespectful, irresponsible, untruthful, stubborn, impatient, dramatic, and lazy. But if you're not those things, then being called those things is not going to change that. Okay, So I'll put that out there to start with because I, I want you to be aware that don't, don't worry about what other people say. Worry about what God says, but don't worry about the opinions of other people. Okay, So there's a great tendency, regardless of whether you're a Christian or not, to to be reactionary when we hear these things, to, to react to those comments or remarks or to react to what we see posted about us online or, or to what we hear about people talking about us. I think our nature is to go, up. Ah, I don't like that. I want to get in there and fix that. And that can be a problem as well. So I want to look at two ways how we should not react when we're falsely accused about things. Because I know that I have been falsely accused about things. And my tendency is usually to just get in there and to try and fix that situation as quick as possible. But I want to look at two ways that we shouldn't react. So you're in Matthew 26, and this is uh, the story of Jesus being unjustly arrested by a multitude who are obviously sent by the religious leaders and so forth. And there's many of them that come out to take him. Uh, and he obviously, out of everyone in the world, is, he's the one who, who could cry out and say, hey, this is unjust. Because he has not done any sin. He has done nothing wrong. He is not deserving of being uh, taken in, in any way. Uh, so Matthew 26, we'll read a few verses here. Verse 51 uh, down to verse 54. I'll read these verses for us. And the Bible says this And behold, one of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword, and struck a servant of the high priests, and smote off his ear. Then said Jesus unto him, Put up again thy sword into his place, for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then shall the Scriptures be fulfilled? That thus it must be. So the first one of how not to react when falsely accused, that I want you to remember this morning is don't fight fire with fire. Don't step in there and just try and fight it the same way that it's come to you, or the same way that you've you've found out about it. Don't fight fire with fire. Now, there may be available to you a great arsenal of, of, of weaponry that you can use to fight this fight. And Jesus found himself in that exact same spot. Because he said to Peter, don't you think I can... Don't, don't, put your sword away. Don't you think I've got 12 legions of angels that I can just call on at any time, that my father can give me? I have an arsenal here that I can use. But Jesus decided not to use that arsenal. And he gave that instruction to Peter. And, and, and so one of your things that you might want to use when you're falsely accused, one of those weapons that you might want to pick up is the support of the people around you. Because, like I said earlier, in this day and age, everyone wants to have their opinion, so, hey, let's try and get as many people on our side as we can to kind of tip this balance and try and weigh up the fact that, hey, my character isn't that bad or I'm not lazy or I'm not whatever. I'm going to try and get as many people as I can to, to be on my side and push forth, push forth that agenda. So that might be one of the weapons that we try and use, the people around us, and, uh, you know, Jesus didn't ask Peter to do this, but Peter was very willing to do this in, in verse 51. He wanted to go and attack. He wanted to fight fire with fire. He's like, hey, I am there. I'm, I'm willing to support this man because he's been falsely accused. And you might have friends that are like that. I hope you've got friends that are like that, that want to get in there and, you know, fight on your behalf if your name's being dragged through the mud, that they would want to get up there and say, hey, no, he's not like that. So that's very tempting to want to go, hey, yes, I have these people here, so I can now do this thing. It's very tempting to do that. But my counsel would be not to to go down that path. One of the other things that you might want to pull out of your, your weaponry is knowledge against your accusers. Knowledge that may... Perhaps do the same to them that has been done to you to tarnish their character. Use something that you know about them to, to bring up. Something maybe from the past, something maybe that's just happened recently. Hey, I know this thing about that person that's slandering me. I can, I can bring this thing up and I can fight fire with fire. <laughs> and Jesus, out of everyone, was, had, had the ability to do that. He knew what was in the heart of man. He knew everyone's thoughts. He knew everyone's motives and intentions. So he could well have done that as well. He could have had legions of angels come and fight his fight. He could have had Peter come and fight his fight for him. Or he could have just used his knowledge and say, you know what, I've got all these things I know about you that I could, I could bring up right now. I mean, if you were Jesus, how tempting would that be? I mean, I don't know how many people were there that came to arrest him, but it says that there were many, a multitude. So let's say it's, just say it's half of what's in here this morning. If you could pick something about every single person in here this morning and say, hey, what about you and this thing? That would be very tempting to be able to do. But it might be two people. It might be three people that are accusing you or that you can use that weaponry on. It doesn't matter how many people it is. It matters about the heart of it. it that's, that's not what Jesus did. He didn't fight that fight that way. So let's not do that ourselves. Now Jesus made a a point of saying in verse 52 that if you fight with the sword, you're going to perish by the sword. If you fight that way, if you fight fire with fire, then you will get burnt. So really what he's saying is you can't fight spiritual battles in the flesh. And we are flesh, and we are tempted to do that very often, to fight those spiritual battles in the flesh. Now, see, Jesus' focus was not to win an argument. He never went out to, to do that. He never went out to prove himself right, like, hey, I'm the best and I know everything and I want to win this argument, because he could if he wanted to, but he, his focus was not that. Uh, his focus was not to keep his profile intact. Like, we all have a profile. We all have something that perhaps we're, we're proud of in our own character or people know us for, whatever it is, but he wasn't, you know, people knew him for, for a lot of things, but he wasn't worried about keeping that that profile intact and he certainly wasn't worried about uh, having his ego stroked where some of us can be very guilty of that we can be like well this is attacking the thing that I I hold dear this is this is making people think ill of me and I don't like that uh, so I'm going to attack back because you know I want to keep my profile I want to keep my standing my social standing or whatever it is I want those opinions of me to be good. Now, he wasn't focused with those things, but he was concerned and he was focused on one thing. In verse 54, he was concerned with the big picture because he said this. He said, I I didn't fight fire with fire because of this reason in verse 54. But how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled that thus it must be? He was worried or he was concerned with the scriptures and with what had to happen, with the Father's will and what had to take place with mankind and what that meant, if he did fight fire with fire, if he did lose, ru- ruin a testimony and all those things, he was concerned with the bigger picture. He wasn't just seeing the, the argument or, or, or the, the, the friction that was right before him. He stepped back and he's going, you know what, I'm not going to fight this way for this reason because there's much more at play here. The fate of mankind and, and, and the... the Ability for them to, to be saved and to get into heaven is resting upon how I approach this accusation that is, that is brought before me. So he was looking at the bigger picture in the whole thing. And uh, if you don't have a big picture in mind when these things come your way, then you might just get sucked into fighting a battle that you shouldn't be fighting or fighting it the wrong way. Because there is a right way to, to fight these things. And it's not like Peter did with, you know, his knife, his sword. There is a right way. But if you don't have, some, if you don't have a bigger picture going, you know what, there's something bigger here, then you, you may just get sucked into that and, and doing it the wrong way. So I'll mention the, what the Christian's bigger picture ought to be in just a minute. But I want to look at the second way that we should not react when falsely accused. And that is this, don't let your passion for truth or justice take over. Don't let your passion for truth or for justice take over or take control of how you respond and how you react in these circumstances. The possession of power, whether it's in speech or deed, does not necessitate the use of that power. Now, that sounds like lots of big words, but really what I'm saying here is just because you can doesn't mean you should. So you might be really zealous, overzealous in fact, that, hey, truth, I love truth, and I want truth to be shown, and I want uh, justice to be done, uh, so I'm going to get in there and I'm going to make this thing right. I'm going to turn all the black into white, all the wrongs into right. But just because you have that good desire that you, you love truth and you want things to be right, doesn't mean you should go in there and, and try and fix the situation. Because Jesus, out of everyone, was, was the man that was full of truth. If anyone loved truth, it is Jesus, because he is truth. So the things I'm presenting to you this morning are things that Jesus could have done, ways that he could have fought these accusations against him, ways that he could have fought the fact that people were trying to pull down his character, but he didn't choose to do them. So just because you can doesn't mean you should. Now, I'll ask you this question. How can you prove an orange tree is an orange tree if there's no fruit on it. So if I had an orange tree in my backyard and my neighbour sticks his head over the fence and says, hey, what's that? And I say, hey, it's, well, it's an orange tree. he says, that's not an orange tree. And I tell everyone that you're lying, that you're, you're saying you're growing orange trees and it's not an orange tree. I'm like, it is an orange tree. I've got to try and find some way to prove that it's an orange tree. I don't want him telling everyone that... I'm pretending to grow orange trees when I'm not growing orange trees, but I am growing orange trees. So I'm going to try and find a way to prove to him that this is an orange tree. So I can pull off some leaves and go, here, you know, break it up, smell it. This, is, this smells like an orange tree leaf. He's like, nah, it's not an orange tree. I go, like, okay, I'll break off a branch. Look inside. This is what the inside of, a, of an orange tree branch looks like. This is the sap that comes out. It's exactly the same as every other orange tree. Like, Nah. That's not an orange tree, mate. You're a liar. I'm going to report you. (laughs) Because that's what everyone wants to do, report you about an orange tree. Okay, okay. You don't believe the leaf and and the branch. Well, I'm going to dig up a little bit and pull out some of the roots and show you these are orange tree roots because it it doesn't look like just any other root. It is an orange tree root. He's like, no, mate. I don't believe you. That is not an orange tree. You're not going to convince me. So even if I did... Managed to convince him that it was an orange tree. What does my orange tree look like now? <laughs> it looks like a mess. So he's not going to believe that it's an orange tree. This looks like a, a piece of rubbish. So we can we can be so adamant that hey, I know the truth, and I want the truth to be explained, and I want you to know that, that I know this. And you can actually ruin your own argument. You can actually ruin your own testimony. Hey, I, don't don't pull down my character and say that I'm lazy. I'll show you that I'm not lazy, and then by trying to do that, you actually stuff up. I'll show you that I'm not prejudiced, and then by showing you're not prejudiced, you actually end up being prejudiced. So you're ruining yourself from the inside out. They they hardly have to do any work. They might have started it, but then you finish it off. So if your orange tree doesn't look like an orange tree anymore, well, then your character doesn't look like what it used to be. Now, there's a verse that says he that hasteth with his feet sinneth. So you might have all the right intentions to do the right thing, but if you go into it too quick or don't ask God about it or don't do it the right way, if you're just in there and you want to fix that thing or you're in there and you want to defend yourself, you might end up doing the wrong thing. You might end up chopping your legs off. And that's what Moses did. He hasted with his feet. He's like, I want to do the right thing for God's people, but he went about the wrong way. He, did, he didn't do it the way God asked. So we've got to be careful that we don't let our passion for truth or for, for, for the things that are right to, to corrupt our character, to, 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 to do those things, okay? So this this orange tree scenario, the way that you can prove or that I could have proven to my neighbour that it's an orange tree, is to go, you know what, I, I'm not going to argue, stand here and argue with her, I'm not going to fight fire with fire, I'm just going to wait, wait for that fruit to come out. Because that is the only way that you can prove it's an orange tree. It can look like one, but until the fruit's there, it could be anything. So you just got to wait. You know what that means? It means it takes time. So you might want to defend yourself, you might want to defend your friend even or whatever is happening, but sometimes you just got to wait. Sometimes you just got to let time pass and then people will go, oh, he's not actually like that. Oh, she's, she's not actually like that. Because now I can see some fruit. Oh, I was, I was judging, I heard this thing and I was passing that on to all these different people, but now that I've st- stood back and waited a little bit of time, I can see, hang on a minute, that's not true. There's some fruit there that says that that person's character is good, that they are not this, they are this. So that's what we've got to be careful of. And um, the Christian's big picture, so Christ had his big picture earlier when uh, he was being arrested. His big picture was, you know, mankind and the Father's will and all that. The Christian's big picture should be the fruit of the Spirit coming out, the evidence of the fruit of the Spirit Because, yeah, we can get involved in different arguments and all sorts of things, but our big picture, overriding all that, which makes us choose whether we get into it or not, should be, is the fruit of the Spirit going to be evidenced in my life? Are people going to look at me as a Christian and go, you know what, he could have taken that path of fighting fire with fire, but he decided to wait, and then the fruit of the Spirit, the temperance was shown, the kindness was shown, whatever it is. So that's what our big picture needs to be. And I'll say this, I, I think there's a genuine fear amongst people, and especially Christians, that, that silence is agreement. So if someone's slandering your name or your character, or someone that you know or love, and you stay silent, then apparently you're agreeing with that. If you stay silent, then you're, you're admitting defeat. I think a lot of people think that way. And that's just not true. Just because you can argue the point doesn't mean you should. Sometimes you need to stay silent with the, the waiting, with the tree. You just need to just leave it. You know, there's a, there's a verse in Proverbs. Actually, I'll get you to turn there. Proverbs 17. There's two verses here. Proverbs 17, which kind of is a little bit funny but obviously very true. Proverbs 17, verse 27 and 28. Right. Verse 27 says this, He that hath knowledge spareth his words, and a man of understanding is of an excellent spirit. And this is what's interesting, verse 28, Even a fool, when he holdeth his peace, is counted wise. So the fool even has opportunity to be shown that they're wise by just leaving it, just shutting their mouth. You know, they could be the most foolish person in the world, but God's saying if they sometimes just keep their mouth shut, they could look like, you know, the thinker. <laughs> they can be perceived as wise, as an owl or whatever, you know, like. just by shutting your mouth just by waiting some time just by letting some things go just by not reacting the bible says even the foolish can be perceived as wise doesn't mean he is wise but i think there's some i think it can be showing some wisdom just by shutting your mouth you may not know exactly why but if you just shut your mouth some things just sort themselves out there's wisdom in that too <coughs> So he that hath knowledge, verse 27, spareth his word. So you may be able to say a whole bunch of stuff, but maybe just leave it. Maybe just follow Jesus' example and you don't have to to say something about everything that's brought before you. And that's what I want to look at, is Christ's silence. When Christ closed his mouth, when Christ had the opportunity uh, to rebut or revile, and he reviled not. Um, So I'll just read this verse... To you. Isaiah 53, verse 7 says this of Jesus He was oppressed and he was afflicted, so he was unjustly spoken of and treated, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. So he chose, at a very critical time in his life and a very hard time of his life, to just not say anything. He had all the answers. He always has all the answers. He has the best arguments. We've got pathetic arguments, but he's got the best ones, and even he chose not to use them. Flick over to Matthew 27 again with me, and I'll just show you another example of when Jesus did this. When he was brought before Pilate, He was brought before Herod as well, and he didn't answer him a word, but he was brought before Pilate. Matthew 27, verse 12. And when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then said Pilate unto him, Hearest thou not how many things they witness against thee? Don't you understand that these people, all these people have got all these things against you? Don't, Don't you hear that? Like, this is just weird, Jesus. I mean, you're being accused of all this stuff and you're not saying anything, you're not reacting, you're just staying silent, well, silence must be agreement, don't you, do you just agree with that? Or are you just admitting defeat, oh, I've got nothing to say, so I'm just going to stay silent. He he marveled at this, and that's what it says at the, the end of verse 14, it says, and he answered him to never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. Pilate was like, I've never seen this before, like, I've seen prisoners and people being in queues before, but I've never seen anyone not react. I've never seen anyone not want to state their case. But Jesus said, you know what? In, within himself, this is the way I'm going to handle this. I'm not going to fight fire with fire. I'm not going to use my, my, my passion for truth and justice to get in the way here. I'm just going to close my mouth and I'm going to let the results speak for themselves. I'm going to let the fruit speak for itself. And this is what I want you to notice. If you look down in verse 50, we'll read a few verses here. Matthew 27, verse 50 says this. Jesus, when he had cried... So this is Jesus on the cross. So he hasn't said anything between being brought before Pilate and being placed on the cross. He hasn't, he hasn't you know, complained. He hasn't stated his case or anything. When he had cried again with a loud voice, he yielded up the ghost... And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. And down to verse 54. Now when the centurion and they that were with him, watching Jesus, saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. Now I would assume that that centurion was was one of the centurions that had a part in him getting on the cross perhaps in in his whipping or whatever it is the buffeting and all those sorts of things the mocking and accusing I'm pretty sure that centurion would have had a part in all of that so this centurion would have seen all that been maybe played a part in all of that and it says in verse 54 that he was watching Jesus and he was looking it's like looking at that Orange tree just seeing is is, is there gonna be any fruit there? Is there any truth to what is being said there? Is there any truth to what this guy on the cross is saying? I'm watching. I'm still gonna accuse him, I'm still gonna, you know, bring down his character and all these things, but I'm I'm watching just to see if anything comes. And then he saw it. He saw the earthquake and he, he saw what Jesus said on the cross and that he committed his, his spirit into, into the Father's hands, and he said, truly, this was the Son of God. The fruit was seen in the end, and that fruit did Christ fighting for him. He didn't have to have all the, the great arguments and excuses and all those sorts of things. It was the fruit in the end that made that centurion, and others that were, that were standing by go, hmm, actually, he is who he said he is. So all these things that we've been saying about him and accusing him of, he could have responded, he could have reacted, but he didn't. He just let the fruit speak for itself. And that's what it should be in the Christian's life. We should let the Holy Spirit have the fruit of the Spirit evidenced so people can say, ah, actually, no, he's not that way or she's not that way. It just takes a little bit of time. I just need to just step back and watch some things first before I make some accusations. But people are always going to accuse you. I mean, God says it's part of our Christian life. It's, it's going to happen, so we should expect it. So if we should expect it, then we should have, uh, I guess, a plan ready when those things happen and not just haste with our feet and then end up sinning. So lastly, I want to turn to our text that our Brother John read for us this morning in 1 Peter chapter 2. And I want to look at Christ's example. So we've seen that... He didn't get into those arguments and he didn't fight fire with fire. Uh, but I want to look at his example of how he was even able to, to not react and able to do these things. I know he's God, he's 100% God, but he's also 100% man. So we can take a lot of things from this because we are 100% man. So verse number 11 in First Peter chapter 2 It says this, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. You know, those fleshly lusts are like your carnal, your worldly desires, the things that you just naturally want or you gravitate to without the Spirit of God leading, the things that you would get into without without God's leading. It says to abstain from those things. It says to remove yourself from those things. Now, Jesus obviously was the master at doing that. He was able to remove himself from those things. So I'm just going to look at a few verses here, and I'm going to stop at one verse at the end, but I'll just quickly go through a list here, okay? So these are some things that Jesus did. Uh, Verse number 12, it says this, Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. That conversation is like your manner of life. It's not necessarily talking about the words that come out of your mouth. It's it's more talking about what you do and how you are, how you handle yourself. So your conversation is meant to be honest among even the unsaved. So that they can look at you and they can say, okay, I don't have any reason to doubt that person's character because of how he handles himself. And And Jesus obviously did that. He handled himself very well. Verse 15, for so is the will of God that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. You know, those people that accuse you and uh, try and bring your character down and try and accuse you of things, often they are foolish people. Often they're just doing it for their own self-gain or whatever, okay? So it's saying here in verse 15 that it's the things that you do, your well-doing, how you handle yourself that actually closes their mouth. It actually puts them to silence. So you don't have to fight that fight with an argument, with a, with a verbal argument. You just go on about doing what's what's good. Go on about your well doing and then it'll actually shut them up. Which is pretty incredible. Verse number 19. For this is thankworthy, this is a good thing, if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. You know, God takes notice when we endure suffering wrongfully. And verses after that, verse 20 and 21, 22, they talk about, you know, if, if, if you get buffeted, if you get in trouble or if you get have consequences for doing the wrong thing and you're, and you're patient and you take that well, it says, well, that's great, but that's what you're supposed to do. There's no reward for that. There's no great, you know, gold star stuck on your chest because you took the consequence that was coming your way. But then it says, but if you do well, if you do the right thing and you get buffeted and you have consequences coming your way and you get pulled down, your character gets pulled down, people speak evil of you, if you take that patiently, then that is a good thing. It says that that is acceptable with God. And I looked at that word acceptable and essentially it means Christ-like. It's saying if, if you're accused of stuff that is not true and someone's trying to rail on you and your character, and you just take that patiently, and you might just step back and close your mouth and let the, the fruit speak for itself, it says that you actually end up being, you're, you're being Christ like when you do that. And it says that it's acceptable with God, it says that it's thankworthy, it's a good thing to do. And Jesus is our example for that. And it says that we ought to follow his steps. Uh, in verse 21, for his example that we, that we should follow. And out of everyone in the whole world, who has been more misrepresented than Jesus Christ? Who, who's the one who has the ability and would, we would say, yep, you have the, the right to, uh, to get back at those people or whatever? It's Jesus Christ. There's none other. I mean, yeah, we have you know, this, that and the other come our way, but Jesus Christ is the one who's had it all. And so we've got to take the example of how he handled himself. Verse 23, this is the one I want to stay at for a sec here. Verse number 23, this is what it says. It says, talking about Jesus, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. And we read that he didn't open his mouth. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. So his example was not to fight fire with fire and his example was not to uh, use his... his um, or to right every wrong that was done against him. But his example was to commit himself and all those undeserved accusations to God the Father who judges, judges righteously. That's how he fought this fight. He didn't get his friends to fight it for him. He didn't have the angels come and fight it for him. He said, you know what, I'm going to commit myself to the one who is the judge overall, Because everyone in this world thinks that they're a judge of something. Thinks that they have a good opinion about something and it counts and it matters. But God's the, the judge. God's the one who is the righteous judge and his judgments are good. His judgments are just. And Christ said, you know what? I'm going to commit myself to him. I'm going to leave all of that to him and I'm going to close my mouth and I'm going to let God deal with that. But this word committed, it actually has the connotation or the meaning of um, now I've got to think of the word has the connotation of custody being put into custody as in a, ch- a child being taken custody by another parent so committing the care to someone this word committed has that, has that connotation so it's like saying Jesus Christ was putting himself under the custody of God the Father But that word is translated, that Greek word that we see here is committed, is translated a couple of different ways, and this is what really interests me. And then we're done. There's a couple of words here that I want to point out to you, and then we're done. So this word committed, what he did, which is what we can learn from and how we can overcome these accusations and do things correctly, it's also translated in Luke 21, betrayed. So when it says, I'll read the verse to you, Luke 21, 16. And, and ye shall be betrayed both by parents and brethren and kinsfolk and friends. And some of you shall they cause to be put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But there shall not a hair of your head perish. In your patience possess ye your souls. So this is Jesus talking to his disciples and he's saying, you know what, if you're going to do my work, you're going to get betrayed by people. But my, my point is that this word committed and what Jesus did to the Father, he is committing himself to the fact that he's going to get betrayed. He's saying, you know what? I know I'm going, to do, I'm going to do the Father's will and that's going to involve me being betrayed, but I'm okay with that. I'm committing all that to the Lord. I'm committing all that to the Father. And at the end, verse 19, it says, in your patience possess you your souls. There's a lot to be said for patience in these sorts of things. Because we can get very impatient when people are railing on us or talking about us behind our backs. You can be very impatient, but... This says to be patient. The other word that this this word committed is also translated is delivered. And it's talking about that Jesus was delivered to the, the will of the people who wanted him crucified. In Luke 23, 25, it says, And he released unto them him that for sedition and murder was cast into prison, that's Barabbas, whom they had desired, but he delivered Jesus to their will. So Jesus handed himself over to the, to the will of the people, essentially. So by committing himself to the Father, he said, you know what, I'm, whatever comes by this, I'm going to let it happen. I'm, I'm, I'm fine with it. The other word is gave up. This word committed is also translated gave up. and doesn't mean give up like, oh, I've had enough, I'm giving up, I'm taking my hands away. It's John nineteen thirty. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. So he gave up his spirit, his life. He, he committed his life to the Father. Are you committing your life to the Father? Are you willing to be betrayed for the cause of Jesus Christ? There's another word that this word committed is translated, hazarded, hazarded, not a word you hear all the time. Acts fifteen twenty six talks about men that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So people that have self-sacrificed, people that are suffering for Jesus Christ. So Jesus committed himself to the Lord. He hazarded his life. His life was in much hazard. He he was willing to do that because of that overall picture. The last one, that word committed, is translated gave. And Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So when Jesus said, you know what, I'm going to commit, all ju- all, all commit myself to the righteous judgment of the Father, he's saying, I'm committing myself to give myself. I'm com- committing myself to give myself to the church because I'm dying for the church and I love the church. I'm dying for the people, so I'm giving myself. He was, he was an offering and a sacrifice to God for us. So I know that's a few, a few things there, but the point I want to make this morning is that to handle these things that come our way, are you committing all this judgment to the Father and allowing Him to deal with it? Are you committing yourself and saying, you know what, I'm willing to be um, hazarded, my life to be hazarded. I'm willing for my life to be given for the cause of Jesus Christ, for His name's sake. I'm willing to be betrayed, whether it's by my friends, my family, my co-workers, my school friends, I'm willing for that to happen. Because if you're not, if you're holding on to those things and you're holding on to the opinions of people, then the will of the Father is not going to happen and the fruit of the Spirit probably won't be evidenced in your life and people will probably just believe the opinions that are floating around about you. So we've got to make sure that we're willing to trust God the Father with his righteous judgments. Because when we do that, we become Christ-like. We become acceptable. And uh, by that, the unsaved see God for who he is. That's what First Peter 2 says. It says, by what you do, the unsaved are going to glorify God. And that's why we're put here, to glorify God. And by that, the fruit of the Spirit is made manifest and God is glorified. So I hope that's a help this morning. I, I was interested in that word committed and found a lot of things there and I just hope that's a help when things don't go your way and when people are against you and people are trying to pull you down that you go you know what I'm not going to fight fire with fire I'm not going to let my passion for truth get in the way of this I'm just going to stand back I'm going to close my mouth I may look like I'm wise but I'm just letting the father deal with it righteously in his judgment so I hope that's helped this morning Um, why don't we pray and then I'll mention a couple of things for us all right Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for this day. We thank you for your word. Thank you for the truths that are found therein and for the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I do pray that you would help each one of us as as things come against us, uh, Lord, undeservedly, uh, that we would handle ourselves correctly, Lord God, uh, that we would commit the judgments unto you, Lord God. That uh, Father, we would stand back and we would have wisdom to know when to close our mouths, Father, and and not get involved in a fight, but, Lord, to to let you do the fighting for us, Lord. And Father, I pray that uh, you would continue to bless this day and uh, bring us back safely this evening, Lord God, and we commit ourselves to you and ask these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.